Hey, my name is Taylor Downs, and this is my wife, Courtney, and uh, we've been attending Academy Christian for seven years together as a couple, and I've been here for eight years. With our finances and um, our experience with God's faithfulness, uh, we have worked our whole marriage to kind of put God as a foundation with our money. Um, stewardship's been really important from the start, and so even in our premarital counseling, we talked a lot about uh, tithing and what that looks like, and um, God's just showed up every time. So uh, pastor role, teacher role, not a huge income number, but um, God doesn't care what you give. Um, we came out of college with some student debt and uh, had to get a car right off the bat, and we wanted to get to a place of financial freedom, and so we worked really hard um, at paying off those debts, but we always made sure that God had the first place, and I really feel like we have tried to build um, what I like to call a little trust fund with the Lord, so we start with Him and make sure that we are faithful in our tithing because kingdom work is the most important work. I don't think that God has really surprised us um, with, uh, you know, you hear those stories of like getting a check in the mail or, you know, things like that. But I think um, God has just been faithful. Um, when we are faithful, we know that God is faithful. And so I think it's just been every single, um, every single month, every single year, um, there, you know, there always seems to be um, the provision there. Every time that we have stepped out in faith and given, I just feel like uh, there's just been a lot of fruit that's come back in different places. So not necessarily in our finances specifically, but in things like um, our assets. Like we were uh, given a car. We have um, a, a fund set up for our kids for their future. That's uh, a gift mm -hmm. and we have been um our house even in the housing market in colorado has always been crazy and just getting into our house was just definitely we saw the hand of god along the way in that um because the home we have is just one that we love and it's it's not huge or anything but it's everything that we need and I just feel like his provision has been there in those places of we have everything that we need. So not surprised, but just just genuinely so grateful and thankful that he works the way that he does. Yeah, I think as being a, a younger couple, I think sometimes it, you know, if you know, you're starting off your marriage, you're starting off your life together, and um, it can be real easy to, to kind of put it off, put off giving, put off tithing, um, getting to that place of like, oh, we, when when we know that we can, we will. Um, and I would just encourage that, that there might not ever be a time where you look at your finances and say, man, I, we're, we're here, <laughs> we're, we're ready. And so um, I would just encourage to, to start somewhere, start now. Um, that's what we did. We didn't necessarily come out of um, college with, <laughs> with 
you know, amazingly paying jobs or um, anything like that. We came out with debt, but we said, you know, God, we want to put you first and we're going to start this now. Um, and so I, I just want to encourage you, if if you feel like you haven't been able to to maybe make that, that first step, um, maybe today is, is that time. Maybe today is that place where you want to, you, you start to trust God in the area of your finances. Well, today might really be the day. I am so glad that you're here. And uh, that testimony ought to be just a dead giveaway that this blooming series that we're in uh, is all about stewardship and giving. And I did just want to mention, we still have plenty of these stay in your lane books. If you weren't here last week, or if you didn't pick, pick one up, there's one out at the table out there. Some people actually said, hey, what does it have to do with stewardship? And it actually talks about your stuff and their stuff and God's stuff. And it's really about taking care of all of the stuff uh, that we have. So you're welcome to pick one of those up if you'd like. I want to welcome those that are joining us over at our Westside campus. So glad that you're a part of our church family, as well as those that are joining us online, inviting us into your home or wherever you are watching. Well, if you were here last week, you know last week I bragged about my wife's gardening skills I'm wondering if it would be okay today if I happen to mention God's amazing creativity and design expertise when it comes to flowers. Do we serve a creative God or what? Do you know that there are approximately 260,000 species, different ones, of flowering plants uh, that have already been named and it's estimated the actual number could be as high as 400,000. Well, we got to know in in this series, Bloom, what we're talking about is doing beautiful things with your God-given financial resources. And I always realize that it might seem a little self-serving whenever the pastor addresses this topic of stewardship, but it's really not. Because what you do with the financial resources that you have has significant implications for you personally, um, both while you're on this earth and for eternity. And make no mistake at all, God is fine with you using those financial resources to provide for your daily life. But if that's all that you use them for, you got to know you're missing the mark. There's a lot of reasons why people don't give today. Some people don't give because they're not Christ followers yet. Others kind of lack a biblical understanding of stewardship principles, and so they don't recognize uh, that giving is actually a part, and we're going to talk about that today, of our relationship with God. Others may just not understand how the funds are used to expand the kingdom of God. But that bloominology that we're using is definitely consistent with biblical imagery. And we could find passage after passage. The one I picked for today was a statement that Jesus made in John chapter 15, where he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if you were here last week, if you weren't, I'd encourage you to catch up with it. I encourage you to bloom because you were planted, which has to do with the whole idea of purpose. You're not here by accident. You're here on purpose. God created you for a purpose. Today, we're going to talk about how we need to bloom how you were planted, which has to do with this whole idea of design. And when it comes to plants, we know that if conditions are in line with design, then plants will grow. And they will thrive and survive. Uh, But if a plant is not in that line, then it it won't. And a plant doesn't really have any control over that, but we do. And then next week, just to wrap things up in this series, we're going to talk about how you need to bloom where you're planted, uh, which has to do with that whole idea of contentment. 
Now, it should be obvious already that the bloomenology is consistent with biology. And I think everybody here can at least have a grasp of understanding gardens as an example, because probably everybody here has had an example, uh, an experience with a garden in some way. And so we understand then that plants do what they were designed to do. Uh, Plants operate according to how they were put together. And I think it's amazing, this design that we see built into plants, uh, into all of nature, more or less. And it really kind of speaks to the incongruence of believing that all of this could be here from one big explosion that happened billions of years ago. I mean, uh, let's be serious. How on earth could evolution ever come up with a process like photosynthesis and have it work so incredibly? Now, as I've already mentioned, gardens are a God-given metaphor for spiritual growth and uh, for the kingdom of God. And just as there are so many unique flowers, just like we saw, every person in this room is a unique set of giftedness and circumstances and experiences and opportunities never to ever be repeated again. And yet there are some basic components that are common to all of us, uh, which include how we were designed to function and to grow. And I just want to say today, recognizing and embracing these divine features is what will cause us to flourish and to thrive as a Christ follower, which is why we're going to need to talk today about blooming how God designed you to function. And one of the things we need to know right up front is that you were designed for a relationship with God. You're actually created to be in relationship with God. Now, there are many evidences of this that we find throughout Scripture, but let's start with the greatest one. And by that, I mean uh, Jesus' disciples came to him one day and said, what is the greatest commandment of all? Does anybody remember what the commandment actually was? It was kind of amazing. Jesus actually replied in Matthew 22. He said, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. I mean, did you notice that the greatest commandment isn't to obey God, even though God definitely deserves to be obeyed, and it isn't to serve God because he really doesn't need to be served. It's love, God. You know why it was the greatest commandment? It's because love is what creates connection. Love is what connects God to us and us with God. And love is the basis for his relationship with us. And really, it's the only basis for any truly healthy relationship. Now, since he's God and we're not, this relationship with God, if it's to function properly, uh, is going to require living like he is the creator and we are the creation. He's the creator, we're the creation. And I think that even though God is the one who designed us and actually should know how we function best, have you noticed that all too often we kind of act sometimes as if we are somehow smarter than God or that we know better than God? And I've noticed that in my own life or maybe in other people's when God says, hey, this is the way you really should do it. And then people think, well, I think actually my way is better. And that's when God, I think, must be thinking to himself, so how's that working for you? And uh, we forget that God's actually the one who created us and it provides us with every good thing that we have. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy about dealing with this issue of uh, resources. And he says, notice, command those who are rich in this present world not to be, what? Arrogant, to kind of think they know it all, 
or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Folks, God is not some cosmic killjoy that wants us to go around all sour and not enjoying life. We live in his creation, and he's the one who provides everything that we need which is a great reminder to me today that, you know, the reason we have any of the technology that we have, and uh, man, I love some of the technology that we have, but it's actually because God originally designed into his creation all the principles that allow it to work. And so I just want to say, do any of you enjoy your cell phone? Is that a tool you like to have? That's an opportunity for you to thank God. It only works because he He created that it, it could. We just need to be sure that we don't get the creator mixed up with the creation especially when it comes to the area of money. And we know that because Jesus actually addresses it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He reminds us, he says, no one can serve two masters. Because either you're going to hate the one and you're going to love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says, you can't serve both God and money. And even though you and I have been designed for a relationship with God, if we're not careful, the truth is that far too often... We seem to be either either forgetting him or maybe ignoring him or, or maybe even trying to avoid him, uh, which we should never do because although God has provided everything we need to survive on this earth, we cannot truly thrive without him. And the reason we know that is because Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If you want to really experience life, Jesus needs to be a part of that. Now, I think what our downfall is really this illusion that we can make it on our own in the world. And normally, we can do pretty good. We can take care of a lot of our needs, but it's more of an illusion. I hope some of you know that April 1st, and we know what April 1st is, actually could probably be declared National Atheist Holiday. And the reason for that is because in Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible says, a fool says in his heart, there's no God. We can get by without God. And see, once you begin to believe that you're the source of your provision, that's when you begin to trust yourself more than you trust God. And that's one of the reasons why God told his people in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He said, but remember the Lord your God. Remember him, for it's he who gives you the ability to even produce wealth. And that's exactly why, folks, returning a portion of God's provision to you is important because it's one of the ways that you literally recognize your connection with God. Which reminds me today, if you've automated your giving, that's a great way to do it because it helps you be more consistent. But I would just encourage you, if you do, then make sure you do something that reminds you that you are giving so that you make that connection with God when you trust him by giving. Well, being in that relationship with God also is going to require of us living like he's the owner and we're the stewards. Now, you know, last week we did a little ownership reality check to remind ourselves that we didn't come into this world owning anything and that when we leave, it will be the same way. Good reminder for me this past week on Friday in our neighborhood, there was an estate sale. And I don't know if you've ever been to an estate sale before, but it's kind of interesting. You walk in a person's house and everything they owned has a little price tag on it and they're selling it and they're giving away all of their earthly belongings. And that's why we just need to keep remembering in Psalm 24, 1, the Bible says the earth 
is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And what gets any steward in trouble is when they begin to take ownership, which is why for you, as soon as you begin to think that you own something, you may notice that all of a sudden it may begin to inappropriately start owning you. In fact, one day some people actually came to Jesus because of this very thing. They were having an argument about what belonged to whom. And that's when Jesus told them a parable about a certain rich man whose farm had yielded this incredibly abundant harvest to the extent that he actually, he didn't have any room to store it all. But instead of acting like a steward, he actually began thinking like an owner that was demonstrated in the conversation that he had with himself. Uh, He said to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then a light bulb went off and he says, I know what I'll do. But in the conversation, he never, ever consulted God. Instead, he came up with his own plan, and his own plan was to keep it all for himself, concluding that then he could sit back, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And that's when Jesus said, God has another idea. And in Luke chapter 12, it says, but God said to him, you're a fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get what you've prepared for yourself. And then God gives kind of the explanation behind it, Jesus, when he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, probably one of the most, I think, familiar scriptures in the Bible after John three sixteen, and maybe Jesus wept, which is the shortest verse, I think would have to be Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. And it's a great passage. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. But sometimes we stop at that verse and we say, okay, I'm going to trust the Lord. But in a few verses later, down in in verse 9 of chapter 3, here's what we we read, where you're really going to have to trust God. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. That's because God's people knew in the Old Testament they had to give the first fruits of anything they got. They had to trust God enough to give that back to him. And giving God those first fruits is how all of us demonstrate our trust in him and acknowledge his ownership over what we have. Now, God is ultimately owner. We're just stewards. And because we're designed for a relationship with God, you know what that also means? It also means that you are designed for eternity. You're designed for eternity. And I kind of find it interesting that even people who say they believe in evolution, that we just evolved from nothingness, a lot of those people actually also believe in life after death. A lot of them do. And that they believe there's more to this life than just this life, which is a little bit strange to me. But then I realize, you know, there's a very good reason why humanity on such a broad scale actually embraces this idea. And the answer is because it's actually been hardwired into us. And we know that because in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, it says that God actually has set eternity in the human heart. He knew it was going to be a struggle for us. And so why would God do that? He knew it was going to be something that we would need some assistance believing in, having not seen or experienced it. And yet eternity is something that definitely awaits us And that fortunately for every Christ follower, it's something that they can look forward to. 
For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is talking about the end times, the rapture maybe that some people would say, and the dead are going to rise. And then it says, after that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord for what? Forever. For all of eternity. Now, the real challenge I think that most of us in this room have with eternity is that we know we're going to have to die to get there. (laughs) And we may have. We may have 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or maybe even 70 years more to live that out until it actually gets here. And so sometimes our our perspective in that needs, needs some help. That's why I so appreciate a letter that was written by a college student to her parents one time. And here's the letter she wrote to her parents. Dear mom and dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of the fire in my dorm set off by student riots, I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly and we've moved in together. I dropped out of school when I found out I was pregnant. And then he got fired because of his drinking. And so we're moving to Alaska where we might get married after the birth of our baby. Signed, your loving daughter. P.S. None of this really happened. I did flunk chemistry class, and so I just wanted you to keep it in perspective. (laughs) I bet they felt better after (laughs) reading that. Chemistry class didn't seem so important. But we all need to check our perspective. I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 24, he said, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. So I just want to ask you this morning, when was the last time you gave eternity even much thought? And the reason I think this is so important is because your focus determines your reality. I mean, what what you're really focusing on, it becomes your reality. And I got to be honest with you, uh, my focus is often much more on the here and now rather than the hereafter, like it probably should be. Except now that I'm 64, and I often walk into a room, and I have to stop and think to myself, now what did I come in hereafter? That's when I think about the hereafter. But there are times when we all need to kind of zoom out and kind of view life from a wide-angle lens, because your focus determines your reality. And the French philosopher Blaise Pascal had an interesting statement. He says, Our imagination so magnifies the present because we're constantly thinking about it and so reduces eternity because we don't think about it that we turn eternity into nothing and nothing into eternity because we don't realize it. Now, if you're going to bloom in a way that acknowledges that you're designed for eternity, it's going to require a specific lifestyle as well. And it's going to require a lifestyle that actually invests in eternity. And I already mentioned, my problem is that my focus sometimes too much is on the here and now much more than it is on eternity. And that's because, I gotta be honest with you, I kind of enjoy my cushy life on this earth. I mean, after all, I've got indoor plumbing and on-demand hot water, temperature-controlled living spaces, king-size beds, comfy couches, comfortable clothes, any kind of food imaginable from either the fridge or from DoorDash or a nearby restaurant. Talk about taking life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. All of which can lead me to believe that I, I maybe should invest more in the here and now 
rather than the hereafter, which is why Jesus, he kind of warned us about storing up treasures for ourselves here on this earth because that's, that's something that people do. And what Jesus said in Matthew 6 is, hey, don't store up for yourselves treasures there. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because there's nothing there that can take it away from you. So what does it mean to invest in eternity? Well, I think it also means engaging in a lifestyle that is a conduit and not a reservoir. A lifestyle that is a conduit, not a reservoir. Now think about it, a conduit simply transfers resources from one place to another, while a reservoir attempts to retain what it's been given, what it, what it possesses. And I just want to share with you, man, when we become conduits, it, it can be life-changing. Uh, two weeks from today, you're not going to want to miss, because you're going to have the opportunity to hear the story of a young man named Sandeep Mighty, whose, whose life of generational poverty and spiritual bankruptcy growing up in India was transformed because someone chose to be a conduit rather than a reservoir. And here's what's counterintuitive about this. Those who see themselves as conduits uh, usually always end up with, with more than people who consider themselves a reservoir. And the proverb actually explains it this way. In Proverbs 11, 24, uh, it says, one person gives freely and yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly and then comes to poverty. Well, Jesus kind of reinforced that a little bit. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter six. He says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, it will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, as we try to wrap this up and land the plane today, as a pastor, I, I've seen so many times how one's finances can be maybe the most difficult and sometimes even the last thing that is fully surrendered in a person's life to God. And yet being totally surrendered and fully in is necessary to really bloom and do beautiful things with your God-given financial resources. Now, I wanna ask if you know the New Testament at all, do you remember there was an account uh, of this young man who fell asleep during one of the Apostle Paul's lengthy sermons. Maybe you can relate to poor, that poor guy. Unfortunately, this young man was sitting in an open window on the third floor of a house, which meant that falling to sleep also caused him to end up falling to his death. Now, fortunately, Paul intervened, and Eutychus, which is his name, was miraculously revived. And we can only assume that when Paul continued preaching through the night, Eutychus kept his eyes open and stayed awake, focused on staying awake. Now, it's somewhat of an amusing story, but, but I could never have imagined that it would make news in the NFL world. But stay with me and I'll explain. I've been a football fan for years, grew up in Colorado, so you know I root for the Denver Broncos, even though we haven't had much to cheer about lately. Hoping... Which is why, much to my chagrin, this story is actually about the star quarterback. Anybody ever hear of the Kansas City Chiefs? Any, any fans today? You are way quieter than you normally are, which is... I'm okay. But Patrick Mahomes, you know him, he, he is apparently a declared Christ follower who's often seen kneeling in prayer prior to the football games. Well, in an interview uh, on the Sports Spectrum website, Mahomes shared an interesting spiritual conclusion that he had come to. 
And he said, I feel like I've grown up in my faith in these last few years, and I think that that's given me more a sense of who I am and why I play the game. He went on to say, my Christian faith plays a role in everything I do. I always ask God to lead me in the right direction and let me be who I am for his name. So it has a role in everything I do. Well, Mahomes went on to say that there was a passage of scripture in the book of Acts that had recently powerfully impacted him, so much so that he actually got a tattoo of it on his leg. It just so happens to be the story of Eutychus from Acts chapter 20. And then he explained why it impacted him. He said, I said, I, I think it's about being half in and half out on God. And that's the interpretation he says, I took from it. You can't be half in and half out, Mahomes said. And so that was the Bible verse that kind of stuck with me and told me that I needed to be fully in. Now, I gotta be honest, I'm not sure I would have come to the same conviction based on that story. But my hope would be that all in is how I would choose to follow and live for God. And I know that it's one of the ways There are more ways than that, but it's one of the ways that we can measure whether we are all in with God. That's how we handle our finances and whether we acknowledge that all we have belongs to God by returning to him a portion of what he's given us. But it requires some trust. Honestly, it does. I know it does. But what's interesting to me is so many Christ followers will say, I trust God with my eternity, but I don't know if I can really trust him with what's going on today. So let me just leave you just with this thought. You can tell that you truly trust God with your eternity when you actually start trusting him with your today. Let's pray. Father, this whole stewardship thing, you're creator and we're creation. You're the owner, we're the steward. Sometimes it's so hard for us to be able to grasp. Thank you for being patient with us and hopefully helping us get to a place where we really see and experience that. Father, help every one of us in this room to be able to recognize that ultimately our life on this earth is gonna be over and there's an eternity that awaits. Pray that would become more of our focus, more of our intention in how we live our lives here on this earth. I thank you already for so many people who faithfully have been storing up treasure in heaven. And I pray that you'd help every one of us to make that part of our priority and to be able to, to see and witness firsthand how when we, when we put you first, we make you a priority that you'll provide in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend. So thank you for that, Father. Help us to be good stewards of all that you've provided. We ask and pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I want to...